Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's up, you guys? Sean Ross, managing editor of FightfulMMA.com. Head over there, get all of your MMA news. We've got your UFC 232 results, your coverage, all that good stuff. We have tons of articles up at uh, FightfulMMA.com right now. Go over and check it out. Right now, we're live on the Pro Wrestling Channel. Moving forward, all of our live MMA shows will be at our uh, boxing channel. That's YouTube.com slash FightfulMMAboxing. Go ahead. Give us a subscribe. We're going to syndicate this here uh, on that channel as well. I am joined today by Harry Kettle. You've seen him at Fox Sports Asia at WrestleZone. Harry, how you doing? Very well, my friend. It's five fifty a.m. over in the UK, but I, I do not regret. I do not regret the uh, the staying up hall for a moment. Really solid event tonight. It was a fantastic event. We're going to go ahead and get into it again, guys. The most direct way to support Fightful.com. Just retweet our stories. Uh, comment on them, share them, Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. It really helps us as a growing MMA, pro wrestling, and boxing website. But uh, I think the theme of the prelims, at least what I learned on this show, was that beating Hen and Burrell means absolutely dick. <laughs> because Andre Ewell didn't do anything. Brian Keller didn't do anything. You had Montel Jackson, who missed weight. Uh, Keller threw some ill-advised naked kicks early, got countered. Jackson's range was a problem early. And then an elbow crack Kelleher. And as, he, as Kelleher tried to scramble, he ended up getting put in a really nice Darsh choke. Then as Kelleher's leaving the cage, he told Jackson he's going to give him the 20% that he lost out on by missing weight because he has a family. I thought this was a fantastic submission by Montel Jackson. Classy move by Brian Kelleher. Uh, any notes from this one? Yeah, well, Brian's going to be a tough guy for anyone to get out of there. You know, I mean, he's not he's exactly got a perfect record in the UFC, but we've all seen what he, what he can do. We've all seen him surprise people. Coming into this fight, I felt like as a veteran, I think he, he, he maybe not had the edge, but he certainly has something going for him. I think Montel, great record coming in, but we all know that it's a completely different ball game when you actually get into the UFC. Mm-hmm. Impressed the hell out of me, Montel Jackson, because I think after missing weight, the pressure just, you know, just ramps up naturally. Really impressed to see how he, you know, performed. And I think he's still quite young. Obviously, yes. Brian Keller isn't isn't the kind of, it's not 
high-level win in comparison to the rest of the guys in that division, but this should give him a ranked guy higher above now, I would have thought. Yeah, you could do worse this early in your UFC career. Uh, same could be said for Curtis Melender, who is now on a three-fight winning streak. Halt Seer Bahadazada's uh, three-fight winning streak. Now, a, f- a fun fact, we did an interview with Curtis Melender, and Seer Bahadazada has such a rabid fan base. They, like, downvoted the hell out of it. Yeah. Anybody that he faces, I, I told James Lynch, go interview that guy. We're going to get traffic off of it. I'm down for it. I like it. Uh, Mil- Melender had these nice kicks at range, but they didn't always have power. He had a flying knee that met some success, and CR was finding uh, some success with these punch exchanges as well. CR grabs this great body lock into a trip and spent the, the round on top of Melender. And then the, it was almost peculiar how, how this fight ended. There was <laughs> this this shot from Melender where Bahadazada just shook his head for like 20 seconds, then spent the next 20 seconds getting lit up. What followed was some downright sad takedown defense from Melender, like he from a punch drunk CR and no effort to scramble. Ultimately, Melender is able to take home the unanimous decision victory, and this is a good win for him. It seemed like. Bahadurzada wasn't on the winning streak he was on because he doesn't fight that often. But this is a good win for Melinder, I thought. And he found some things that he could work on as well. Yeah, I think if if that fight goes two minutes longer, maybe three minutes longer, and the, and the momentum continues to shift, it's, it's one of those maybe saved by the bell a little bit. Curtis Melinder is one of those guys that people, uh, they, they've, they've gotten behind in the past, but never never quite to the extent of some other guys. I mean, you, like you said, you just look at Curtis Melinda's win record. He's got, you know, he had three knockouts in a row and knocked out Thiago Alves, which is no small feat. He's beaten Max Griffin, who's beaten Mike Perry. You know, the, the, the names alone, obviously names don't mean everything in MMA, as we know. But I, like you said, he subbed up the performance brilliantly. I think it was always going to be tough for him. I think that there was maybe people were expecting CR to come in and do some really big things. It was kind of, I, I, I think actually eased the pressure on Curtis a little bit because less eyes were on him. He could go about his own business. Um, yeah, impressive win. Afterwards, Curtis Melender calls out Mike Perry, but calls him Michelle Perry. Mm. Mm. Well, okay. Good, good one. Mike good. Perry's going to have a job in the UFC. He, Mike Perry will have a job in the UFC in 10 years, and he could go 5 and 10. I fully believe yeah. that. I do too. He's just one of those guys that's going to stick around and he'll fight absolutely anybody. So they figure, why not keep him around? Also, he's an interesting guy. He'll he'll sell the fight, may say some dumb things on the way, but I would recommend you guys watch the third round of this. Uh, the first fight was completely harmless. Uh, I would never, however, recommend watching a Uriah Hall fight because the man is one of the most frustrating fighters in the world <laughs> to watch. How do you know what's going to happen? And before he was saying... It's a new Uriah Hall. It's Uriah Hall 2.0. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. I just know that every time he steps into the cage, I don't know until at least a minute in what we're going to see, whether he'll pull the trigger or not. And Bavon Lewis went right after Hall, as I thought he should have. And he met a great deal of success into the third round. And then he got caught with this just sick right-hand counter uh, hook from Uriah Hall and that'll get it done. And Uriah Hall can do that to anyone. I think in that division, I don't know that there's anybody that he is out of his depth against. If he connects with that type of a shot. I mean, we saw that put away Gegard Musashi, not that shot, but a shot 
we've seen him do some amazing things in there. And he somehow was ranked 14th coming into this fight. He's going to retain that ranking. But I think that Bavon Lewis could have done a lot worse than to have the performance he had tonight. And Uriah Hall picks up a win and hangs around in the UFC. Yeah, man. Like I've uh, I've got kind of a personal attachment to Uriah Hall. He was on the first one of the first Ultimate Fighter scenes I remember watching uh, a few years back. And at the time, obviously, everyone said next Anderson Silva, next this, next that. But we, like you said, it's the same story. We saw it in his very first fight proper in the UFC in the finale. Lost against Kevin Gastelum, seemed to crumble under the pressure. He's just a great come from behind fighter, given given the right kind of fight. Like obviously, in his last outing, we saw him against Paulo Costa. That's the kind of level I think you you need to reach in order to get past him, because you need, he is a he is a tough guy to get out of there at the same time as he's tough to kind of absorb shots from. I think the story is going to be for him after the fact is going to be his post-fight speech about his sister and about yeah. obviously it, it's post-fight speech isn't something a lot of people will necessarily hang around for but when you've got a guy who clearly is just pouring his heart out the people can attach themselves to that and you look at Uriah Hall he's had an up and down career but I said before this fight I think because it's just and one of those where he made, most people didn't actually really know if he was even on the car. They just kind of saw it and thought, oh, Uriah Hall's fighting. That'd be fun. If he could get the win, which would have always going to be a finish because he's not really a decision guy, then it could be, you know, a bit of a springboard for him. He's 34. We, you know, yeah. we, we've seen guys in the heavier, heavier divisions like Daniel Cormier rise up in a later stage of their career. I think. Preemptively speaking, I think if he can get another one or two wins together, then he could get himself another marquee fight. Yeah, I'm with you there. I completely agree. Early in the fight, he was sticking to the jab and the low kick, but it seemed like he was loading up for one of those big spinning attacks that sometimes put people out, uh, at least in, in his experience. That didn't happen, and the counter worked. We see he's he's got power everywhere. He's got power in his hands. He's got power in his feet. It's a matter of connecting and, and really pulling the trigger. That's always been the blueprint on Uriah Hall. And Bavon Lewis, hey, that's fine. You, you got knocked out by Uriah Hall. That's going to happen. That mm-hmm. just happens. Uh, Nathan Wood dominated Andre Ewell, landed a submission in round three. Ewell has some real fundamental thought flaws for like a 30-year-old in the UFC. Didn't seem to put together combos, got himself pinned, uh, tried to work out of the guard a little too much without putting his feet on the hips. I thought that the commentary was spot on, especially Cruz saying he squeezed a little too much, didn't work elbows or anything out of that guard if he's going to be there. Uh, Wood controlled this entire fight. Ewell has no ground game, major flaw. Wood briefly fought off a rear naked choke, gets put belly down and tapped out. Nathan Wood looked really good, and he asked to be on on, uh, a card in the UK in March. I hope he gets it. I think he is the right type of person to put on that show, and I thought this was a fantastic performance for him, Harry. Yeah, Nathaniel Wood is the kind of guy that you can slot right into that co-main position in in London. He's going to draw a ton of guy, ton of fans. The thing about Nathaniel Wood is people who may have not seen his work would have seen his recent record. They've seen he's got a couple of losses on there, but it, that's that doesn't that's not an indication of of him as a as a performer as a fighter because he is someone who can just improve so much so drastically in between fights because he's just got a cool head on his shoulders. I was at a fight in uh, his last Cage Warriors fight before going to the UFC back in February. It was yeah. the main event. Half half the crowd, I'd say, were there to see him. And he starts the guy within, you know, 90 seconds because he's just got these just these quick shots where 
you know, you, you have to rewind to see what he's done. He's that kind of fighter. You're just like, but he's just moving so quickly and he just has so many tools in his arsenal and he's got that composure that you don't really see from British guys at that high level because we've seen Darren Till, um, you know, we've seen UK and Irish guys over the last maybe few years who have got a bit of momentum together, got to the UFC and then, you know, crumbled. Not saying that's not going to happen for Nathaniel Wood, but you know he. This was not his initial matchup. You know he had a he had yeah. an, um, uh, Duke and yeah Duke and Izzy, which would have been a phenomenal or fight. Duke and Wah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd still love to see that fight. But you know he, yeah. he adjusted to the situation, and he, he's the kind of guy the UFC can rely on. He's he's a poster boy. Really big night for him. Yeah, uh, what I like is is ahead of his last loss. I think he last lost in 2016, but. He was starting. He started off his career with all these fantastic finishes, and then he, he went to the scorecards a couple times. Since that loss uh, in 2016, he's finished every single fight. That is a lot easier said than done. At 135 pounds, you're not seeing a lot of guys finish seven straight fights in that weight division. And it's not like he was facing scrubs in cage warriors either. He's facing a, a, arguably. The easiest fight that he had or the lowest quality opponent he had there was Von Lee, who was a UFC veteran. Yeah. Because, I mean, he fought some good people over there. I know he fought Josh Reed over there, and he he had some good opponents. So I'm excited to see uh, what we see out of him next because I I was very impressed by him tonight. It was so just such a matter-of-fact performance, and uh, his skill set was pretty transparent there. Andre Ull was not getting out of this. No. Ryan Hall with an insane round one <laughs> submission over BJ Penn. This was unbelievable. Uh, BJ Penn had not won in eight years. Felt like Ryan Hall had not fought in that long. <laughs> All things considered, I didn't really think BJ Penn looked terrible or anything. It was the fact that he got caught with an Imanari roll from one of the best jujitsu guys in the game. And I'm, I'm going to see if I can find a GIF and show the people that didn't see it. It was an unbelievable. Uh, heel hook submission like you you have to see it to believe it but that's ultimately what it boiled down to and bj penn's first submission loss uh, what did you think of this performance man just scary and ryan hall is terrifying just because of the demeanor he's just kind of like he just there's nothing there is nothing there and he's just kind of gold calculated like you said there it was just an exchange they were just stood up waiting for something to happen and then click of the fingers and he's done and you know ryan hall said afterwards that he felt the knee pop pretty good you know, it's never nice to see that with a with a guy like BJ. It was it was it was interesting to see BJ tap so quickly. I think people had those two schools of thought: either either something popped, something went wrong, or he just realised that things were on the verge of going very wrong for him. But yeah, Ryan Hallman, really unassuming guy. But that's that's the kind of that's the kind of fighter that you you love to watch when if you're a jiu-jitsu lover. Here's a look at that Imanari roll. If you all haven't seen it. I'll get it on there quickly. Whoa. It was beautiful. Then into the heel hook. I'll uh, exit out of that before <laughs> UFC pulls this video. <laughs> but it was it was amazing. And I, I, there's no shame in getting caught in a heel hook, even an Imanari roll heel hook by Ryan Hall. For BJ Penn, what does that mean? Do you think he fights again? Because I think he's so stubborn he's he's going to. I think I think the only thing that could probably get him to hang it up is if they went to Hawaii finally and he got to fight there. That that could maybe do it. But Ryan Hall, he says he's moving back to featherweight, but he's been rejecting fights left and right. He took this one because of who it was. 
and because it is an idol of his. But what do you think's next for Penn? I think exactly what you said. That was going to be my thought. I think that UFC Hawaii is is exactly what should happen next. I mean, for multiple reasons. They've got so many, well, a handful of just top-level Hawaiian guys. And obviously, BJ isn't top-level necessarily anymore. But imagine the scene. You know, you can just picture in your head, can't you, that, that farewell against someone who is not ranked, who is not maybe even close to being ranked, maybe a newcomer to the UFC or a veteran. That would be nice. I think that it's it, it's a... Back and forth, I think he's lost six in a row now or something like that. So you've got people who think that he should just hang it up because, you know, thanks for the memories. But let's face it, you're either going to remember BJ positively or you're not now. Like the, the, the ship has sailed on whether or not you're, you're going to be tipped one way or another. One more loss, let's face it, isn't going to do much either way. And I think I, the UC is obviously the elite of the elite, or at least we're conditioned to believe that and think that way. If that is the case then I think one more and done. And I think if it's anywhere but Hawaii, it's a bit of a misstep because a lot of people didn't even know he was fighting this weekend. Yeah. Yeah, he has, lost, or un, he has not won in his last seven fights, dating back to the draw with John Fitch. And he is one and one, eight and one in his last 10. Yeah. And that goes all the way back to his championship fights against Frankie Edgar, where he lost and then was unsuccessful in regaining it, but he did put some weight on it afterwards. We saw him walking away. Who knows if that's adrenaline or what that is, but it was good to see that he didn't have to be helped to the back. Although he did pretty, had a spotter of sorts Mm -hmm. Uh, for Ryan Hall. He'll, he'll get whoever that he accepts along the way. I don't think this isn't putting him in any top 15 discussions. However, Peter Yan is in a top 15 discussion, and it's time to talk about him. He's 3-0 in the UFC now. He put away Ishihara in June. He put away Sun in, gosh, I think it was September. And here we are in December. And he's putting away Douglas Silva de Andrade, and that was a test, a top 15 opponent. And not only did he, he finish this guy, he made the corner throw in the towel, which I was thrilled to see that Douglas Silva de Andrade's corner said, all right, we're not going to let him get get hurt anymore. Also, shout-outs to the referee. When Andrade was trying to put his hand on the ground to be a grounded opponent, the ref said, no, that's not that's not how it works here. We're not doing that. He tried to gain the system. Jan arrived. He had a, he, He's not an overwhelming top-control grappler or anything, but he's good and aggressive and makes the right moves. Uh, a lot of positive things to say about Peter Jan, who is 25 uh, – we're seeing this influx of Russian talent really emerge. This was his first time fighting stateside as well. I think he'd only fought outside of Russia one time. So that was that was a, a test in itself. I thought Peter Jan looked great. My the, the Russian invasion is is upon us. You know, you've got ACA, you've got Fight Nights Global, you've got all these promotions over in Russia just producing these animals. And it's almost as if these guys doing samba and things like that, they just they suddenly looked up at the TV one day and realized, oh, there's this, this mixed martial arts thing. Maybe we should all go over there and try that. It's it's he is terrifying. He is just like he's got all the tools, he's aggressive. It feels like he can finish you anywhere. I, I completely agree about the corner stoppage. It's not something you see enough of, and I think people need to come to terms with the fact that it doesn't even matter if it's a Peter Yarn or you're a veteran. It doesn't matter what kind of opponent you're against. It's it's it. If you're in a position of danger to that extent, you need to throw in the towel because it's it's just it's never going to end well for you. I think that 
it'll be interesting to see from this point how the UFC kind of books him. Do they want to keep him on these big American shows? Do they want to maybe transition him back over to the Europe shows because they know that people are going to kind of get a big following for him? I know that they... They're probably going to go back to Russia potentially next year. If they do, I'd like to see him maybe not necessarily headline because I don't know if he's ready for that, maybe a co-main event slot. He's someone who likes to keep busy, which is which is obvious. So, But I, I would like to see him take a couple of months off, not not push the metal too much. We've seen it quite a few prospects in the last few years where they're on a roll and maybe they've gone one too far and they've taken one fight too many too quickly. He needs to sit back, play the field, See what the UFC offer him now. Can see he's in a good position of power. Yeah, I, I would agree. You had Megan Anderson winning technically via Katz and Gunner. And there were a lot of people who were saying, DQ, no contest. It's a perfectly legal tactic. There mm-hmm. wasn't much of a fight here. Megan Anderson threw a head kick. Katz and Gunner tried to dodge it and did by and large, except for the toes that caught her in the mm-hmm. eye. It lacerated her eyelid. It was repaired on site at the venue. She didn't have to go to the hospital. The fight was stopped. You saw Megan Anderson follow up a little bit, but she had slowed down. And then she stepped in. Ref didn't stop the fight until after the the follow-up by Megan Anderson. So Megan Anderson didn't do anything wrong. Kat Zingano didn't do anything wrong. She reacted the way that you get react when you get hit in the eyeball. Mm. But it was a legal tactic. However, I'm with Megan Anderson and saying, yeah, let's run this one back. Why not? What did you think of the fight and where do they go from here? Massively disappointing to see the way it ended. And and the thing it well, the thing about it is I, I said in one of my previews that I felt that this was going to be the one fight that people were left feeling afterwards. Oh, could have been so much more, but certainly not for this reason. I was expecting Tingano mm-hmm. to kind of wrestle her a little bit and, and go down that route, try and neutralize her. She didn't get a chance to do that. There's a, there's a there's a couple of arguments for this one. I've seen some people say that a toe is a digit, just like a finger. So why mm. isn't it treated as such? Uh, it, I understand where they're coming from with that. When you're someone like Megan Anderson, you need a lucky break. And I know this isn't necessarily the lucky break she wanted. And it's good that she's shown the compassion. And it's almost as if, you know, she's won the first leg and they'll take the second leg back to her home turf now because I think that if they're going to run this back, it, it should be on her terms and it should probably be on the, I think it's the uh, Melbourne card in February. I'd, I'd like to see that. That would be quite a good spot for them. The, the problem with this is it's kind of like Poirier against Alvarez because that one obviously took so long to run back. Whereas this, I think they need to go quickly. You know, if the eye is not bothering it too much, they're both relatively fit and healthy. They were only in there for a minute. Run it back. Yeah, I would agree. This is a bummer because Megan Anderson was going to have a lot of questions answered or there were going to be a lot of questions answered about her in this fight. Questions that maybe we haven't seen answered based on her Holly Holm performance, and none of those were answered. We know that if her toe connects with somebody's eyeball, it's brutal. The UFC on Fox era was officially ended as Walt Harris snoozed his way to a split decision over Andre Arlovsky. This fight sucked, Terry. This was <laughs> absolutely terrible. It put the nail in the coffin of the UFC on Fox era. I mean, Arlovsky is, he's still hanging around. I, I feel, is he still ranked? I think he was ranked like number 13 somehow. I don't it's know how. They're all ranked. They're all, yeah. imagine well, what heavyweight ranked. Well, Walt Harris wasn't, and he's going to be now. But man, this fight didn't show me anything. It didn't tell me anything. 
and everybody could go out of their way to miss this fight. Yeah, I just it's not that didn't you don't care about it, but it, it's the perfect indication of how the Fox era has petered out. You had Velasquez against Dos Santos in an absolute war seven years ago, and now we fast forward to here, and this is how it all ends. It was quite funny seeing Joe Rogan interview Dana after this point, and they were clearly told to give a thank you to Fox, and it just looked like Dana was really forcing it, given that he'd just seen a bit of a. I always said a bit of a snooze fest. Um, yeah, Walt Harris is just one of those heavyweights, isn't he? He's just we we haven't seen much of him. We need to wait for a, the, the point where he's really challenged. Arlovsky is never going to be that kind of guy. Um, I think this may be one of the final times that we see Arlovsky in there. He's, he's a legend, but my God, how much more crooked can that nose get? Yep. Over on the pay-per-view portion of the show, we started off with Alexander Volkanovsky TKOing Chad Mendez in round oh. two. Chad Mendez had uh, some great spots in this in this uh, fight, but the blueprint on him is that he zaps his energy when he expends it on takedowns, and that seemed to be the story of this fight. We've seen it happen before. Uh, Jose Aldo with Conor McGregor, and now with Alexander Volkanovsky. Volkanovsky just unleashed this brutal combo that crumbled Chad Mendez, who was was looking to really reestablish himself as a title contender in this division. Instead, we have an Alexander Volkanovsky who is someone to be reckoned with as he was ranked number 10 going into this, Mendez number five. I thought that Volkanovsky showed great heart and, and not, how do I put this? It's not so easy to get out from underneath Chad Mendez. Some people do it, but it's not so easy. Volkanovsky did it and then stood up, knew where he was, uh, pressured Chad Mendez, which Mendez hates, especially after a takedown. It is the way you beat Chad Mendez, and he employed it perfectly. He did exactly what he needed to do to beat Mendez on this night. The the thing that that struck me was when the takedown came, the first one especially, and Volkanovski just kind of pushed his way back to the cage, calmed himself down, and got up. And I think Mendez looked at him and was kind of like, wait, what? He joked that it was going to be the Battle of the Hobbits, Volkanovski, and the, the thing I liked was the contrast between the two because they're both quite similar shapes. It was gonna it was gonna, always gonna be interesting to see whether or not Mendez could keep him down. And obviously he didn't. I love the stand-up trades. The when Volkanovsky is just so confident. He just oozes that kind of natural bravado. I, I think he's he's got a great little gimmick where he says he wants to kind of eliminate all the pretenders and all the kind of people in MMA who say that they're this and they're that. I, I really like that, like a natural baby face kind of thing. Um he he's he's great and and it, 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 the fight against Elkins, some people were questioning, you know, how he, he was struggling to put him away. But Darren Elkins is a completely different animal. That's, he's that's a freak whole, of nature. Yeah, that's a whole different thing altogether. He just finished Chad Mendes. And, and people can say what they want about how much time Mendes has spent off. But like you said, it, it's a case of Volkanovski knew the blueprint, followed the blueprint to a T and, and, and won. Because we, we saw Mendes beat Jury quite convincingly. So he's clearly still a top-level guy. Volkanovski, 30 years old. Just one of those abnormalities in MMA to the point where he was, you know, they were saying about it on the broadcast, 214 pounds when he was a rugby player. And anyone who knows rugby will know that that is, that's, rugby is one of those sports you yeah. don't mess with those guys. He has such a cool demeanor for someone that would play rugby. You can, they, you, a lot of them are meatheads. Like I, I'll, I'll attest to that being in the UK. But he's, yeah, really exciting guy. We'd like to see him back in there as soon as possible. Hopefully another 
top name, but I'm not sure who would want to take that fight at the moment. Yeah, especially if they threw that on the Australia card. That That's a couple months, maybe a month and a half. Mm. That's not easy. I mean, maybe somebody would want to take the flyer on that, but he's 6-0 and in the UFC now. A couple of those fights not at featherweight, but considering the fact that Max Holloway is wanting to jump up and down and stuff, I think we've got a contender in Volkanovski. I do think... I mean, it's weird to say he needs a, another top flight win, but I wouldn't mind seeing him against a Frankie Edgar. But do you want to risk Frankie? I mean, Frankie Edgar picking him off, or do you even care? Do you let the cream rise to the top in that regard? Uh, you got to have some of these guys in high profile featherweight fights, though. That way, Max Holloway can have some contenders, assuming he stays there. Dana White wants him to move to 145, so we'll see how that goes. Yeah, we had Corey Anderson defeating Eler Latifi. Ilya Latifi, very underrated, but Anderson had a good game plan, man, and it's wear down Latifi, uh, test the gas tank of Latifi, who had teased a move to heavyweight pending what happened to Gustafson. So it looks like Latifi may just be hanging around at light heavyweight. But Corey Anderson, a thing that I like that he did, he wisely showed up yesterday on championship weight because he said, ah, Gustafson's fighting, Jones is fighting. There's a good chance one of those doesn't make it to Saturday night. I'm going to go ahead and show up on championship weight. <laughs> and he did, as did Zingano, by the way. Uh, that was very, very smart. Latifi, very successful early with calf kicks. Anderson was very heavy on the lead leg. He waded in and found a little bit of success here and there, but got very tired in the round two. And Anderson is the complete opposite. He's got that gas tank, one of the best at, in light heavyweight history, quite frankly. Starts ripping to Latifi's body. And although he improve, he improves like categorically over fights. He Anderson finds way to get himself in trouble, but was able to pick apart Latifi at range in round three. Ended up winning, and after it looked like Anderson was maybe out of that UFC light heavyweight top five about a year and a half ago or so, he's right back in the thick of things. He's got three straight wins. Such is the nature of 205. <laughs> it's, it's one of those divisions. And I oh, just Carousel. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 just as I, I just had a look at his record there, two thirds of Corey Anderson's wins have come by decision. He is a, one of those fighters, flies under the radar. But the thing that kind of surprised me pleasantly about this fight, uh, maybe in comparison to some of his others, was his output and his volume. And I think it was the same kind of thing I said when Colby Covington beat Dos Anjos. I was just surprised at how. He was willing to kind of mix things up, come forward, keep keep getting in the face of the Lila Tifi instead of just maybe grinding out a result as he has done in the past. I I, I was in Hamburg um, back in the summer, spoke to Corey, um, and he just it almost felt like after the, what he went through, the Manoa loss, and you know over over the same proof, he just seemed to have a clearer perspective. He was honest with himself. He was down to earth. He, he kind of lost any cocky edge he may have had before and he just he he focused he's, he's now focused on what he wants and what he what he wants to do which is win the title and like we've said in the division like that how can you how can anyone say that any guy in that top 15 isn't going to make a run to the top and it's both a bit an indication of you know what the state of the division is like but it's also exciting to think that any number of new guys could come through the likes of Reyes and we've seen Blackovsky you know rise up but yeah i'm excited to see where he goes from here even though some people will look at him and say yeah you know dull fight michael chiesa made his debut at welterweight taking on an idol of his in carlos condit now carlos condit 
has lost five fights in a row, no win since May of 2015. Since beating Nick Diaz for that interim title, he is two and nine. But still, he found some bits of success in this fight. This, I thought, was a fun fight, a must-watch fight. Condit locked on an arm bar and uh, threatened with a couple of submissions. Kiesa changed the, the pace of round one, took Condit down and controlled him, ended up finishing off the, the fight. Um, I, I reached out to my catch coach and I'm like, well, what is this? They announced there's a Kimura in the cage. It was basically a one-arm Kimura or double wrist lock, but it's not a double wrist lock if you don't double the wrist lock, so it's just a wrist lock. So Michael Chiesa is able to hyperextend Condit's arm behind his head, apply the pressure towards his shoulder, and finish with a a, a wrist lock applied on one arm. This was an amazing finish. Uh, it's going to fly under the radar because of the Ryan Hall Imanari roll into the heel hook, but this was an incredibly innovative submission hold and a great performance from Chiesa. He got into deep waters, got himself out of those deep waters and was able to pull through and gain this victory. I want to know what you thought of Chiesa's performance before we talk about Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Man, Michael Chiesa was one of those guys coming into the week, coming in, you know, the interviews and his, and everything. He just oozed that confidence that we haven't seen from him in so long. It felt like a big performance was coming. He was just a completely different person. It felt like to the guy from maybe six months ago back in, in Brooklyn and, and the eventual fight with uh, with Pettis. Yeah, I think it was a really impressive performance. I think that submission was always going to be the way that this was probably going to go. I think if anyone's seen him before, they'll know that he is that kind of guy who will look for that type of finish. And he 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 didn't show Condit res- the, too much respect, I, I, I think. I think that was the important thing for him. I think given that that was his idol, there was a threat that maybe he was going to think, oh, you know, be a bit apprehensive. But there, there, there wasn't any of that. He He was... Uh, he was a dog in there because he knew that he needed the win, potentially much more than Condit because Condit's on the back end of his career, on a kind of a bit of a slide. I think it was really impressive. There's a lot of options for Kiesa, I think, that people aren't maybe looking into because I think because of the whole kerfuffle with Connor and a couple of his losses, people forget that you know he's 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 had a relatively impressive resume in in the UFC. I mean, he's beaten Al Cainter. Uh, and I like yeah. him, you know, that's that's no small feat. He's beaten Trinaldo, who's, who's, you know, finished off a lot of guys, Benil Darius, and this is all at a weight that he didn't feel particularly comfortable at. I think welterweight there opens up more options for him. Really excited to see what he gets booked into next. I think an Alex Oliveira would make sense. A couple of guys who used to fight at 155 and now fight at 170 and... Mm. 
Uh, Oliveira coming off that brutal loss. Oh my God. I don't know if he's recovered. So we'll see how that one goes. If you wondered what the submission looked like, guys, if you didn't watch it, here it is. And I'm not going to play the video, but as you look here, it's almost like a stockade of, of in, in a way, uh, except not with the arms. He's kind of doing it with the legs too. But because of that single wrist lock that you see there, almost like a stockade, and he doesn't have it reached around, but it's a straight arm bar. It is a fantastic submission where he uses his, his weight. He has the hips high up on the body of, of Condit. Just an unbelievable, fantastic submission that is. And for Carlos Condit, if he wants to fight, they'll let him fight. If they say, no, you're not going to fight anymore, he can go to Bellator and he can make six figures to fight somebody over there because you know they would just love to throw somebody in that 170-pound division. They would throw him up against an MVP or somebody like that. Oh, want this well, welterweight. Yeah, in this after this welterweight tournament's done, but they're he's he's going to keep fighting if he wants to fight. I mean, there, people will hire him, and in today's landscape where you have one looking for talent, you got that option too. How do you? What do you think is uh, next for uh, Carlos Condit? Uh the UFC seem to struggle with guys like this when it comes to the decision of whether or not they cut them. And it's almost as if people like Dana wants to wait to see what Condit wants to do, kind of show him that respect because obviously he's been involved in so many wars over the years. In in a multitude of interviews before this fight, you know, Condit, Condit was kind of indicating that maybe this was one of his last kind of last pushes, last stands. And I... I feel like he'd retire. I don't know what he's got else going on from outside of the, of the cage, but I feel like a retirement might be coming. He, he's, he's been in there with, you know, no joke kind of, of guys, you know, Alex Oliveira and, like I said, Michael Kayser, Damian Meyer, and they've all kind of had the same success in terms of submission games. I, I, I think he's done, and I think he's, he might announce it soon. He's considered retirement in the past. I, I know that he's, he's talked about that. Yeah, I think I think he's done. Reminder, guys, subscribe to the new MMA channel. That's youtube.com slash Fightful MMA Boxing. Do us a solid. We're pushing towards that 1K subscriber mark. But uh, then it happened. One of the, what will become one of the all-time iconic moments in UFC history solidified in my mind the greatest women's fighter of all time Let's take a look at it. Here's how it appears on FightfulMMA.com. And you see this slugfest unfold. And this is what did it. Chris Cyborg getting blasted by Amanda Nunes. Now, Chris Cyborg met a little bit of early success. And Mm -hmm. people don't usually go at Cyborg like that. Now, something I brought up often was before the Rousey fight became a real possibility you didn't necessarily see Chris Cyborg fighting at range. She would get in and fight inside like that. But regardless of what you say about how the the Cyborg-Rousey fight would have went, you do not want to fight a Ronda Rousey on the inside where you can be thrown. And Chris Cyborg was adapting her style, I think, for that and became a way better fighter than we saw in her early days because of that. We would see her keep women at the end of her punches, but she didn't lose power as a result. So we would watch her back people to the cage and then finish them, which also happens to be Amanda Nunez's MO. What we haven't necessarily seen a ton of out of Amanda Nunez, except in the, in the Rousey fight, is 
how she reacts to pressure. And when somebody steps forward to her now, we can pretty much expect her to stand in the pocket, throw down, not be afraid, even if she gets cracked. She got cracked by the most fearsome fighter in female MMA history, arguably MMA history, and was able to face plant her shortly after. What was your reaction to the start of the fight through the end of the fight? Because it didn't take long to experience. I did not think it would be over that quickly. I think we've seen, we've, we've seen Amanda Nunes have a range of different fights. We've had the Valentina Shevchenko fights where she's you know dragged it out for the five rounds. We've we've had the Pennington fight where she's dominated for four rounds and then just finished her off. We've seen the Ronda fight, the you know Misha, and so on and so forth. I was stunned. I just the like the, I think the thing that people have forgotten and think that the UFC have potentially dropped the ball on is that. After that win over Ronda, she knew as had the potential to be the hottest thing going. And then we had the big kerfuffle with the Valentina pullout where people maybe suggested that she was afraid of her, which was ridiculous at the time and has proven to be so to this day. I think that she people people forget just how ballsy she is because she's another fighter, just kind of like I hinted at it with Nathaniel Wood. He come on leaps and bounds. It doesn't matter if they've got a couple of losses on their record because they're going to adapt. They're going to improve. They're going to change their game up. And it's it's the mystique of Cyborg that you need to get through, isn't it? It's, it's getting past that idea that she is, she, that you can't be it. She's invincible because now that, that law is gone. And I think that because the, the key for this one was that Nunez was coming up and not many people realize that she was coming up to her natural weight, but she would probably have felt equally as comfortable if she would have down down 135. And that that helped her massively because the pressure was off. You know, it was one of those situations where, yeah, like Joanna, if she'd have won, amazing. If she hadn't have won, well, she's lost to kind of, you know, a dominant fighter. I think the lack of pressure was, was important here. And just the fact that Cyborg, after she didn't get the finish, she could have taken a step back and maybe kind of, seen how it was going, tried to play out a little bit, create some distance, but she got dragged into the into it. She when when she felt Nunez's power in return, that that she she saw red and Nunez dragged her down, kind of poked her in and finished her. And it was oh it's beautiful. Unbelievable. It is amazing. Chris Cyborg's contract up in March. Have we seen the last of the UFC featherweight division? Because they got nobody besides Megan Anderson and Macy, maybe if she, I think she's going back to 135, who knows? They don't really have anybody. It's a celebrity division. I guess they can keep the, the championship technically and run it as the same celebrity division that it's always been. But then you look at women's bantamweight. You have Durandamy. You don't want to give her a title shot in any weight division because you never know if she'll fight or if she'll make it to the fight. Holly Holmes coming back next year. But how many times can you go to that well? Amanda Nunes has not fought Holly Holm, so there is that. Mm. Yeah, <sighs> it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a problem, and, and it's a problem we, we, we've all seen. It's one of those things where if you're a name and you string maybe one win together, then it's enough for a title fight. It, it's drastically different to, you know, the license. Especially if you're home. Sorry to interrupt you, but especially if you're Holly Holm. Oh, yeah. Holly, Holly Holm can can do no wrong. And, and I understand the appeal. You know, she's always going to have that Ronda win under her belt. She does good numbers. But at the same time, I mean, can, can anyone say that they wouldn't want to see, and I know it's early to, to think about this, but Cyborg isn't 
over the hill by any stretch of the imagination. I, I imagine if they dangled the carrot of a rematch, I don't know if it was going to be immediate. I mean, I, I, there's no one directly for Nunes I, because obviously no. I think at home is the fight with um, Julie Budd been booked for home now. Is that, is that, is that set in stone the next fight? With who? Aspen Ladd, you mean? Aspen yeah. Lad. As she she is expected to face Aspen Ladd on March 2nd. But yeah, I yeah. would imagine if Cyborg wants to keep fighting in the UFC, that is, uh, she will want her t- championship back. Well, who else is she going to fight? Yeah. I mean, I, that's I, that's it. I mean, the, the thing is, I think, like you said with Megan Anderson, that's the, the next person they'd want. But I think Anderson would need to get another emphatic win over... Um, Zingano in order to kind of get back to that point. I think, like you said, I think they'll keep it there, the title. And I think, I think Amanda Nunes will sit back and kind of be like, you know what, just, just, just come up with ideas for me. And I, I wonder if it's going to be a Stipe Cormier situation where Nunes ends up getting booked by, with someone else or hinted towards getting booked with someone else. And then Cyborg kicks up a fuss and says, well, what, what's going on? I'm the most yeah. dominant player in the division. If I had to hang my hat on it, I'd say that they do have rematch, but I don't think it's going to be for at least another six months. Yeah, I would agree. The UFC will have to renegotiate Cyborg's contract as a result because it is expiring soon. But I looked and bless Megan Anderson. I think she's wonderful. I like her as a a broadcaster and speak very highly of her. A wonderful woman. But when you say bring in the featherweights, who? Yeah. Who are you talking about? Some... 37, 38-year-old women, some people who have four or five fights under their belt. I mean, yeah. people are, are telling me Felicia Spencer, she's got five fights. <laughs> five <laughs> fights, man. That's it. And bless her, get her in the UFC on that. I mean, maybe maybe it'll work, but there are not a lot. You can't fill out a top 15 division no. with what's available because Bellator what beat you to the punch. Bellator got Julia Budd who, by the way, Amanda Nunes has beaten before. <laughs> so Amanda Nunes has now beaten every Bellator and UFC featherweight champion ever, including Chris Cyborg, <laughs> Jermaine Durandamy, and Julia Budd. When you she's, put it like that. <laughs> by the way, she's beaten the 125-pound champion, Valentina Shevchenko. Valentina Shevchenko beat the greatest 115er of all time. Like, it... The the dominance of Amanda Nunes is unbelievable, right. and it, it really puts in perspective. Really, uh, to take a to take a Chael Sonnen quote, how good is Valentina Shevchenko? Because <laughs> Valentina Shevchenko arguably beat Amanda Nunes. Oh, That's yeah. one I wouldn't mind seeing again in the future. Mm-hmm. That is, from what we see, an amazing fight. Yeah. But where does Nunes rank? Is she the greatest female fighter of all time? Oh, it, it that's the thing, isn't it? Because it, when we look back on this in five, ten years, it's going to be a case of examining the body of work. But right now, coming into this fight, even though they didn't necessarily get the build towards it, it was the two best female fighters of all time. Um, and you, it, it is two schools of argument, isn't it? You've got one set saying, well, yeah, Cyborg lost. She got beaten quite badly, but that's one fight. But then you've also got, you know, the the people who say, well, no, it's a case of putting it best against the best. It's like when the rumours about GSP and Anderson were floating around, people were saying whoever won that fight was the greatest of all time because of the nature of their resumes. I would say that I, I think she is. I think she I think that I think I think that Nunes probably does hold that mantle now. But again, if they re, if they had a rematch and Cyborg beat her, 
where does that put us? Does that, yeah. you know, it's, it's tricky. When I look at the resume, I see Amanda Nunez with wins over the greatest 125-pounder of all time that we know of, Valentina Shevchenko. Besides Nunez, the greatest 135-pounder that we, we knew of, Ronda Rousey, and the greatest 130 or 45-pounder that we've ever seen in Chris Cyborg. And when I see that and I do the math in my head, I'm thinking, well, that certainly is a recipe, at least for right now, as the greatest female fighter of all time. Then you yeah. throw in there Durandamy. She beat her, too. Durandamy's still atop of the Bantamweight division as far as the rankings go. If she was more reliable, I think it'd be open and shut. Durandamy gets the title shot, but she's not reliable. We never know if she'll make it to fight night. Oh, by the way, Nunez has wins over Julia Budd, as I mentioned. Vanessa Porto at a point where Vanessa Porto was really good. You had uh, Shayna Baszler, Sarah McMahon. So not only that, she's got wins over NXT champions. <laughs> WWE champions. Covering all bases. That's unbelievable. Uh, it, it's it's It'll be interesting to see what would happen. And I know, again, this is the nature of, of, of women's MMA. If Kat Zingano actually, say, say she finishes Megan Anderson and they level it up at one apiece, Zingano is one of the few women who has a win over Nunes. And obviously... A lot of people would say that maybe Zingano doesn't necessarily deserve that title shot, but UFC would look towards that build and say, oh, well, here's the dominant Nunes. And I, th- I think that would be quite an interesting fight if Zingano did win, because you need to build Nunes up as this just Terminator, just this r- early Ryback WWE S yeah. figure of just, just no, 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 not stopping it. Nope, she's invincible. Um, I, I, I do think she's the greatest women's fighter of all time, but it's always interesting to see how that, that story develops and how that narrative develops when someone is still in the midst of their prime, really. That moment was unbelievable. Can't wait to go back and watch that. I am now mm. blocked by zero UFC champions on Twitter, which is <laughs> always a plus. Oh, lovely. Shout out to Chris Cyborg's management team. Chris Cyborg likes me, but her, her management maybe doesn't as much. Well, management teams is trash. <laughs> yeah, yeah, garbage. Uh, whoever managed her has not done her any favors. And yeah. I'm pretty excited to see Becky Lynch's uh, tweet about this later oh, on. Amazing. Oh, what a, what a woman. <laughs> Next up, we had John Jones, after all this mess, defeating Alexander Gustafson to retain or regain the light heavyweight championship. Here are a couple of clips. As they appeared, we see a nice lead elbow from Jones. We see a takedown in round three. This led to really violent elbows, and it was the beginning of the end. And I, I you know, you always have people complaining about back of the head there. I think Jones did about all he could there. I don't think those were egregiously bad or anything. Mm. There's a lot of controversy about Jones coming into this fight with the drug tests and all that stuff. I mean, he's an amazing fighter. Like what we don't have to break down his character issues every time we talk about him. We know it. The Coke test, the the uh, the PED popping, the mm. DUIs, the hit and runs, all that stuff. Just him in general being an overwhelming piece of shit. However, <laughs> he is also overwhelmingly the greatest UFC light heavyweight of all time. Early on, I thought Gustafson did about as good as he could do, but man, this this was not that 2013 fight, and 
Harry, I'll put it like this. I was not plugged in, not connected to the inside of MMA at all in 2013 when they had their first fight. And even I heard John Jones is not training for this fight. Even that, that got back to me and I didn't know anybody. Mm. So I'm sure Gustafson knew about it. This time was a little bit different. John Jones showed up prepared and he finished Alexander Gustafson. Something that, uh, when he didn't finish OSP, many people worried about, but now he's come back off layoffs, finished DC, finished Alexander Gustafson. What does this performance tell you about Jones and about Gustafson? Oh, it's so much to unpack, isn't it? It's, 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 um, it's, it's been the story of the, the final quarter of, of the UFC, aside from the Connor fight. Um, it's tough. I'm, I, I've fallen victim to it on, on social media and things like that you know mma is an emotional sport the the fan base is emotion driven uh, they're hand in hand with pro wrestling in that sense people get invested in the characters and things like that we've we, like you said we've been over it many times it's it's uh john jones is 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 john jones we, a lot of people don't like him myself included as a person but he didn't really have to get out of first gear i found i, I said this immediately after the fight it just didn't feel like he looked at gustafson and, and, and when you don't respect someone of a high level in MMA, most of the time, obviously, you're going to get caught. Or you're going to be in trouble. John Jones is just light years ahead of these guys. He's so far ahead of them. I mean, he took Daniel Cormier, arguably the greatest, maybe one of the two, three greatest fighters of all time. And he, he, he absorbed some pressure, but he just kind of finished him. It was almost like he picked when he was going to do it. And in, it was like in this instance... I almost felt like Jones wanted that takedown back because in the first fight in 2013, I, you, you just know he wanted to get that back. And it was a perfectly executed takedown. Great way to look at it, too. Great way to look at it because that was a shocker. When Gustafson yeah. dragged Jones down, I don't care how much John Jones is trained before that fight. That was a shocker, Harry. I couldn't believe that. Yeah. And Gustafson just – he. I mean, the, the reality is – he faced a longer layoff than Jones. I joked earlier this year, they announced Luke Rockhold versus Gustafson. And I said, can't wait until 2022 when both of these guys are healthy and they actually fight. And for Gustafson, he, he talked about maybe moving up to heavyweight two to fight Cormier, uh, but that was before that. I'm sure he could find some success there. I mean, why not? But this light heavyweight division, it's got some potential names. It's got the Anthony Smiths. It's got... Tiago Santos. It's got Dom Reyes. Those are three very promising names. Shogun Hua is a drug test or a knee injury away from somehow being slid into a title fight at some point. <laughs> he's still hanging around there. He, he's he's there. But a lot of these guys either are losing out or John Jones has beaten them. We do have some new blood, though. Jones, in this performance, there's not a lot you can say. He implemented a game plan. Like you said, didn't have to get out of first gear. And finish the fight. What they were asking about a potential fight at heavyweight with Daniel Cormier. Oh. Would Cormier even want to put himself through that again? I, I think, and this might, this is going to sound sinister, like quite sinister for um, for me. I think that John Jones knows he stands a very good chance of getting beat by Daniel Cormier at heavyweight. That's my opinion because I just, I just, I just feel like people underestimate just how important those weight classes are. I think I think they hear that someone's going up or someone's going down. Casual fans will think, oh, well, 
this fighter's naturally better at this weight class, they'll probably be better at that one. No, not how it works. I think we're going to see that unfold in the TJ against Cejudo fight. I think it's going to be very interesting to see how TJ looks. We saw how um, Joanna looked against Valentina. I think that if Jones went up, I think he would struggle. I think I think Cormier's got power, uh, a heavyweight that, that we've all seen, and I think he would be much more comfortable. Jones wants that fight more than Cormier, I think, and it's and it's and that, that that seems to be evidently clear. I think that that everyone's got the Brock fight in their mind, and I it it, it depends on what how you think of it because we, I, I heard Dominic Cruz before we came on the air talk about how you know I think he said that if if Jones had a pinch of salt in in him, uh, Brock has had a brick, and yeah. and, <laughs> and that's you know when do we suspend? all these forms of kind of uh, what's right and what's wrong. I mean, how many people are going to be talking about Jones finishing Gustafson and how many are going to be talking about the drug test now? They're going to be looking at his most recent performance. That's that's what I want to ask you about this fight. Uh, years from now, when you look back at this card, which will you remember it most for? The John Jones fiasco and his subsequent win or Amanda Nunes knocking out Chris Cyborg? Oh. I think, I think it. I think it, a lot of it depends on how Nunes, whether or not Nunes Cyborg had a rematch maybe later down the line. Because I think that also you can compare that to maybe JDS against uh, Velasquez one in a sense. Because obviously Velasquez came back and just starched him twice and then won that rivalry. I think that I will remember the fiasco side of it. I think just because it was just so extravagantly ridiculous. There were. I mean, people. Put, the, the thing is, people pull out fights all the time. People, you know, people drop out a week in advance, maybe two days in advance. And when you look back on those cards, like when I when I look back on the Mendez McGregor card, I don't remember it being short notice. The first thing I will remember is that fight because it was just so overwhelmingly fantastic and the such. But you look at UFC two twenty three and you look at this. Obviously, two very different circumstances, but. I I will remember, if only because the UFC always puts their cards in Vegas at the end of the year, I will personally remember the fiasco side of it ahead of uh, the knockout, but it, which is a shame, I think. Yeah, man, this is uh, a historic card that we saw. Lots of moving pieces here. People are always asking me about the Brock Lesnar situation. We'll, we'll find out more as it emerges. They They don't have a... Hard date. I mean, Daniel Cormier wants to retire in March or before his 40th birthday, but he doesn't have a fight scheduled yet, Harry. And Dana White wants him to fight three more times. I I think that if they're going to do that, I think, I think if if he, I I think it would be best for Cormier. And I say this as half as a fan, half as just an analyzing, it would be better for him to just leave the Jones thing in the past because he, We've seen what it's done to him. He's an emotional guy, maybe more so than a lot of fighters. He takes these losses extremely hard. Would we all love to see a third fight? Yes. Would we all love to see Cormier ride off into the sunset with a big win? Not, I'm not guaranteed, but a big win over Lesnar. I think we'd all love to see that given who Cormier is and his character. Um, I think it's Mar- the March 2nd date in Vegas, I believe, is 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 the next kind of major pay-per-view after after Australia. I think I think that would be good. I think early March, that March second date, Lesnar against Cormier, Cormier's final hurrah. Then he can retire. I think it is uh, hypocritical of Dana White to ask for three more fights from Cormier because a few months ago he said once you've got a foot out the door, yeah. 
I think yeah. I, mean, I, I guess <laughs> I guess Cormier isn't out that door yet, so he's, <laughs> he's preemptively like. Well, it's it's funny because they do that. Dana White does say if somebody says they want to retire, then they're gone. But after Derek Lewis retired in the cage, he offered him a fight four weeks later, and mm-hmm. it it happened. Here are some uh, highlights from the press conference so far. Um, uh, we're tweeting it at Fightful MMA. The the updates are at. Uh, FightfulMMA.com. Dana White says he's very happy. The event was a total sellout. Says that he loves sticking it to everybody about the fight being moved and still being successful. That is so, pardon my language, guys, so fucking tone deaf. Oh, I, oh, and that's revolting to me. I'm sorry. That is just revolting. I think that, I, I, I find it disgusting. I really do find it disgusting. So the, 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 the the attitude that he's had with this. I mean, go back to the days where he was shouting at eggs on Twitter, for God's sake. I'd rather that than this, because it's just he's so cynical and he's just so corporate. And people say he does it for the love of it. And and I, I don't really care anymore if he does it for the love of it. I just think that he's just so yeah. maybe not he yeah, toxic. It just feels like a toxic environment and he just and he is a bully, I in my I, opinion. I for one miss Twitter eggs. They were way more charming than the silhouettes. Oh yes. Oh yeah. Dana White calls out Darren Ravel saying that Nunez is the worst thing that happened to UFC women's fighting uh, because she knocked off the two most marketable stars. Dana White says, quote, what the fuck does he know about fighting? End quote. That I do agree on. Mm. Uh, Dana White guarantees Nunez will be a star after tonight. Doesn't know what's next for her. Uh, Hasn't talked to BJ Penn, but would like to see BJ retire. Said the opposite of Cormier. Says, quote, sounds to me like Cormier wants two or three more fights before hanging it up. Oh, no. <laughs> End quote. Dana says the new belts will debut in Brooklyn. Didn't do it tonight because of the shit show this week. They're working on big things in 2019. Dana says that Jones need to pass his drug test and stay out of trouble. Would love to keep Jones busy this year. Says that Brock is not out of the picture, but believes Brock plays the UFC and WWE against each other to get more money uh, out of Vince as a result, which he 100% does. Dana thinks that Brock Jones and Stipe are the three best fights for DC, then calls Nunez the best female fighter ever. When Dana is asked about being skeptical about Nunez needing more time to put more weight on, uh, Dana says, what the hell do I know, but compares her to GSP. Dana won't commit to anything involving Connor until they go in front of the Nevada State Athletic Commission, hopeful that he can fight in the summer. Says that Jones' future depends on him passing drug tests. If Jones uh, fails another drug test following tonight, Dana says that he will, quote, kill himself. <laughs> what? 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 I did not expect those to be the words that came out of your mouth. I don't exactly. claim you can't be on a card anymore and then go two yeah. months later and put him in the main event again. Yeah, uh, he will never main event again, and then he main events every time. Dana will not do an immediate rematch with Nunez and Cyborg. Doesn't sound like Diaz and Masvidal is happening anymore. Shocker. Dana says that Aldo and Moicano is not the main event in Fortaleza because they, Aldo didn't want five rounds, and you don't say no to Jose Aldo. I kind of think it – I like how much Jose Aldo is respected mm. by Dana White in that regard because yeah. he put a lot out there. He put a lot yeah. out there. So lot, yeah. Uh, he says, quote, this business is worse than a hair salon. There's so much drama and crazy bullshit, end quote. With that being said, anything out of there that, that really stands out to you? Um, I'm, I quite like visuals, so it's interesting to hear him confirm the belts. Um, I, I, I think some people like the belts, but I, I think that the fact that 
I think when Connor won his second bout, they just went and got Woodley's, I believe, and, yeah. and gave it to him, like because they just look the same. Uh, I'd be interested to see whether they add some maybe unique touches onto it, take a little leaf out of Dodo Bree's book, maybe not to the extent of the Divas title or anything like that, but, you know, um, something new, new design. Um, I think that it will be interesting to see what he does with Nunes if he doesn't want to do an immediate rematch. I also think that it's funny that he says that she's going to be a star now. Why wasn't she made into a star after the Rousey? Yeah. I mean, I don't get it. He says um, that Darren Ravel was an idiot and so-and-so. Well, why didn't you promote her? Why don't you mm-hmm. put her out there, send her on a tour around Brazil, make her the biggest thing in the world, you know, in, in MMA. Um, interesting about Aldo Moicano, I think, because I think I would have thought that if that fight wasn't booked, I would have quite liked to have seen Moicano Volkanovski. That would have been quite a in, in good, interesting range of styles. Um, in, he sounds like he's more than willing to talk about several different topics. So it'll be interesting to hear him back and see his intonation. Maybe he's kind of got a bit of fire back and a right kind of fire though. Yeah. I mean, Amanda Nunes isn't getting the Rousey treatment. She's not getting, I mean, they've got her on Fox 11 instead of Ellen. So, I yeah. mean, <laughs> there's a big difference there. Guys, thank you all so much for joining us again. Subscribe Fightful MMA Boxing on YouTube and hit up FightfulMMA.com. Harry, let the people know where they can find your stuff. Uh, you can find me at HJ Kettle on Twitter. And then I've got my weight cut on there. It's got a whole, my whole body of work for WrestleZone, Fox Sports Asia, all, all that good stuff. Hopefully big things in 2019. Well, I really enjoyed having you on. Hope I get to again. Uh, the Fightful MMA podcast this week, guys, it'll happen on Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern. The reason for the move, New Year's Day, but Showdown Joe is actually flying back from the Ryzen event that he's calling and oh. won't be back in time. So we will uh, be covering that on Thursday, although we'll have full coverage, full live coverage. I'm giving away a pass on my Twitter, so make sure you guys go ahead and retweet that tweet, follow Fightful online. A historic night. Hope you guys had fun with us. Leave a thumbs up. Subscribe. Till next time, guys, follow me at Sean Ross App. We're out. This country was built on a distinctly American work ethic. But today, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and diminished our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make a variety of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more. All made right here in the USA, from growing the cotton and adding the final touches. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs for seamsters, cutters, and factory workers in towns and cities across the United States. And it's about more than an income. Jobs bring pride purpose they stitch people together if all that sounds good to you visit american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use code staple 20 at checkout that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com with promo code staple 20